I've flipped houses with my wife for over 15 years, but never have I encountered a house as much of an enigma as 25 Maple Street. I had purchased the house at a state auction, as with most houses that fall in state hands, this house belonged to an old woman that passed away with no next of kin. There wasn't much of a backstory that we could find from public records, except the house had been built in 1895 and had only belonged to her father and then herself. Claire and I were excited for this project. We flip houses to turn into rental units for vacationers. Claire does the interior design and is an antique aficionado, while I do the construction and repairs. She was especially excited for this project because it came as is, meaning all the possessions inside came along with the purchase. We turned at a red tattered mailbox that read Thomas as we pulled in the drive leading up to the house. The small Victorian home beckoned in the center of a lush green backdrop. We walked in to a greeting of mothballs and dust bunnies. The foyer was frozen in time. Claire ran past me and up the stairs, admiring the banister. After the first few steps, she tripped on a loose floorboard. Looks like you already have some work cut out for you. This banister is all original. Late 19th century. Look at the wood details. It's magnificent. I stepped through the arch into the sitting room and walked into a time capsule of velvet and wood with an ornate fireplace next to the curtain that hid the large bay windows. Just wait until you see the sitting room. She raced in and kneeled next to the dusty couch inspecting the fabric. This is genuine early 1900s velvet. This is incredible. A vacuum and some polish, and this furniture needs no upgrading. I noticed there was some peeling wallpaper on the wall next to me. The bones of this place may need some upgrade, though. I took a corner of the peeling piece and it came off with ease. 
She pulled me into the center of the room in an embrace, and I kissed the top of her head. This is going to be our best project yet. I unpacked the car while Claire started opening all the curtains and windows to let the dusty air circulate. Upstairs, I placed our bags in the master bedroom. The bed was an obnoxious pink eyesore in the center of the room. I brushed my hand along the top of the floral duvet, and a puff of dust swirled into the sunbeams coming in through the windows. I took the duvet off and threw it onto the floor. Underneath, a brown stain spread across the eggshell-colored sheets. A rancid odor wafted through the air, and I pinched my nose. I hope she didn't die in this bed, I thought. We could not sleep in here. I started to take the sheets off, holding my breath, when a phone started ringing. Claire must have left her phone in the luggage. I grabbed her suitcase, but the ringing ceased. I continued dealing with the putrid sheet. I balled it up and ran downstairs as fast as I could. Ah! I stumbled on the loose step and fell on the ground. I got back up and shook it off. I needed to fix that step ASAP. I ran out the front door and threw the sheets into the metal trash can on the side of the house. I took a long breath, sucking in the fresh air to rid my nose of that awful odor. Ben? Claire called out from the front porch. Yeah, just me. I walked back around to the front. I think the old lady passed in the bed. We are not sleeping in there. Good thing I brought the air mattress, she smiled. Oh, your phone was ringing upstairs. I think you packed it in your suitcase. I kissed her on the cheek as I walked back in the house. No, I have it here in my pocket. She took out her phone and held it up. I thought that was your phone ringing. No, it wasn't mine. I took mine out of my pocket and had no missed calls. Old Lady Thomas probably has a landline. Maybe the telephone company doesn't know she passed yet. I'll add calling the phone company to my to-do list. As the night settled in, we managed to vacuum and dust the sitting room and dining room. We hadn't had time to stock up on groceries, so we ordered a pizza. We ate at the large oak dining table big enough to seat ten, and I marveled at the stunning chandelier hanging above. The brass was dull on the outstretched arms that held up the two dozen bulbs. Each light was held up by a tube shape that was smaller on one end, but larger on the other with the bulb. These tubes looked familiar and like they didn't belong with the rest of the brasswork. Babe, what do you think of that chandelier? Do those light sockets look familiar to you? Claire finished chewing the pizza in her mouth as she looked up at the chandelier. Huh, you know what? Those remind me of old telephone handsets. You know, the telephones that looked like candlesticks? Back in the early days. That's what they are. They look like they've been welded on. Have you ever seen one of these before? 
She stood up on the chair to examine it closer. No, it's definitely a -a one-of-a-kind piece. I'd love to have an appraiser come look at it. She reached up to touch one of the handsets. And the telephone I heard earlier rang again. The noise surprised us both and nearly knocked Claire off her chair. There it is again! It sounded like it came from the study. I got up and walked across the hall in the middle of the house and entered the study. A wall of shelves that held old, decaying books stood across from a large wooden desk in front of the bay windows. The golden, amber light from the sunset creeped across the desk. I pulled the metal chain on the banker's lamp. There wasn't a phone on the desk. I looked around at the end tables next to the studious chairs at the other end of the room, but no phones could be found. Find the phone? Claire came up behind me. No, not one phone in here. Wow, check out these books. They're ancient. She sauntered over to the shelves. She took a blue cloth book from the shelf with a crack down the spine and wiped off the cover with her sleeve. There's no title. How curious. She opened it up and thumbed through it next to me. It was at least 200 pages filled with handwritten names and a string of numbers beside each name. A phone book? That looks like a precursor to the yellow pages. No ads? No businesses? Only names and numbers, she said, still flipping through the book. I doubt any of these are still connected. Plus, they are 24 digits long. I don't think phone numbers exist that are that long, even internationally. I double-dog dare you to call one, I said jokingly, but she took out her phone and started calling. She hit the green call button and put the phone on speaker. Sorry, we are unable to complete your call at this time. What a shame. I was hoping something fun would happen. I showed her the book I had been holding. Do you think all the books are like this? There's only one way to find out. We pulled a dozen books off the shelf, and all of them had the same contents. Names and numbers. We sat on the floor, surrounded by books. More numbers! I don't understand. I read from the book in my hand. Why does Charles Wilson get these numbers, while Elise Patterson gets those? And why are the names not in alphabetical order? I was profoundly stumped. Maybe they're coordinates to where they live, replied Claire. Coordinates have periods and apostrophes. These are just a string of numbers. Maybe this is an old town census. The phone rang again and we shot up. The hallway, gasped Claire. We ran out into the hallway and stood like mannequins with tilted heads and perked ears, waiting for the next ring. Luckily, it happened again right beside us. But we couldn't see any phones, just the wall of the staircase. Ben, where is it? It's behind the wall somehow, 
I glided my hand across the seamless wood wall. I don't feel an opening. The phone rang again, and Claire ran into the study. I have an idea. I followed her, and she started pulling all the books off the shelf in a swirl of yellowed pages and dust clouds. What are you doing? Maybe there's an entrance on this side, since it shares a wall with the stairs. In the movies, there's always a secret door behind the bookshelf in old houses. You might be onto something here. I helped remove all the books, but to our disappointment, none of them engaged a secret door. I thought I had it figured out. I guess this old house isn't like the movies. We walked out the other entrance of the study to the foot of the stairs and stared at the puzzle. The floor plan didn't have a basement, right? She asked. No, just the two floors and some attic space. The phone rang again, taunting us. I inspected the stairs and had an idea. The loose board I tripped over earlier. I nudged the board with my foot and it popped right off. I pulled the board up and the next step came with it. Whoa, secret staircase entrance, like the monsters. That idea didn't cross my mind. I peered down into the darkness, careful not to shift my weight in case there were any more trapped doors. I grabbed my phone out of my back pocket, turned on the flashlight, and a white steady beam erupted from the flash. A small set of three stairs led to a shallow cement floor. There was one table and one chair in the center of the room. On top of the table was an old candlestick telephone with the corded handset, just like the chandelier in the dining room. A book and some pens sat beside it. Any monsters? Claire was leaning over my shoulder. Come on, let's go. She scooted past me and went down the stairs. I walked down and waved the flashlight across the ceiling. I saw a small light above the desk with a metal chain. I pulled on it and the yellow hue of the dim light flooded the room. The walls were plain and melded with the floor like a concrete box. Claire picked up the handset and brought it to her ear. Hello? Her face went slack in shock and some noise vibrated in her ear. I couldn't make out what it was. What's it saying? It's saying Isabella Thomas has died, and then a string of numbers. It keeps repeating. She held the handset up to my ear, and I heard a tinny voice repeat. Isabella Thomas has died. Five, seven, three, nine, four, five, five. My fear tuned out the rest. She opened the book beside me. Ben, look! There was a list of names and numbers, just like upstairs. Only this one wasn't filled, and the last page was only half written. Hand me the receiver again. I gave it back to Claire, and she listened and wrote down the name and number. 
She placed the handset back on the cradle. That's the old lady that owned the house, isn't it? Yeah, that was the name on the deed. She flipped through the pages of the book. Do you think all these names are of dead people? No wonder she didn't have any family left if she sat down here all day waiting for her friends to call about dead people. This idea sank like a rock in my stomach. Come on, Ben. I don't think a friend would call her to tell her she died. That's silly. She picked up the handset again and started dialing numbers on the small rotary dial. Wait, what are you doing? Trying these numbers on this phone. She dialed the last number and looked up at me. It's ringing! Her face lit up, but my spine grew chills. She pulled me over so our cheeks were touching and we both could hear in the receiver. The tiny metal tube rang on the other end. Hello? An old, weak voice responded, and she dropped the handset in shock. She scrambled to pick it up. Isabella? This is she. Who's calling me in the middle of the night? I can't see a damn thing. A lump sank in my chest. This couldn't be real. My name's Claire, and I'm here with my husband, Ben. Can you tell us where you are? Please don't say you're right behind us, I thought. I'm in my bed. Though it's so dark, I can't see anything. We looked at each other. Her bed upstairs was empty. Miss Thomas, I'm sorry to inform you, but I think you may be dead. Oh, no. It was my turn. I thought it might happen soon. What do you mean, your turn? I asked. You folks must have found the phone. It's a phone to the dead. An automated message from the other side calls when someone passes in the area. It gives a name and number as a way to communicate with them. You're lying. Who is this, really? Claire nudged her elbow into my side. Stop it, hun. you You're being rude to the spirit. It's all right. I hoped the people that would buy my house when I passed would never find the phone. I should have prepared better so my family's secret would die with me. Is your family one we would know? Claire was loving this. I was still terrified, but couldn't stop listening, like rubberneckers at a car crash. A relative of mine may have helped invent the telephone and tapped into another dimension in the process. I kept one of the phones around because I enjoyed keeping a list of the calls all my life. The dead always have better stories than the living. It's also very peaceful being able to talk to friends after they pass. Miss Thomas, I love everything about this house, but I must admit, this has to be the coolest part of it. Oh, I'm getting tired, dear. I'm afraid I must go. Sure, thank you, miss. But the line dropped dead with a click and dull tone. I turned away from the table and rubbed my head. Ben, it's okay. She seemed cool with us using her phone. This isn't real, babe. It's a prank call. A phone that can talk to dead people? No, no. 
Well, you don't have to talk to them, hon. She headed for the stairs. Come on, let's go finish eating. How could she think I can eat after discovering a bunker with a possible communication outlet to the dead? The following morning, I called the phone company to disconnect the service to the house, but they told me they had never serviced the property. Claire thought this was more evidence that the phone was the real deal. She fell more in love with the house over the next couple of months. When we finished renovations, she wanted to make it our permanent residence instead of renting it out. I agreed under the condition that I wanted nothing to do with the phone. She spends most of her evenings down there, calling random numbers, discovering the past. Occasionally, she tells me a story or two from her conversations with the dead, and I listen begrudgingly. I must admit there was one story about a murder at the local lake that intrigued me. I don't know how this phone line tapped into the land of the dead. Or who makes the haunting automated call with the numbers when someone dies. I've started to accept that our house has a communication line to the afterworld. But even so, I'm still filled with dread every time I hear the phone ring. We hope you enjoyed this spine-chilling story. For now you're stuck in strange territory. Wherever you go, the bizarre will follow through mysterious fog and eerie hollows. You can't hide behind brick and mortar when you're lost within the spooky quarter. The Spooky Quarter features narrator Megan Daniels, story host Johnny McCone, and story editing by Melanie Daniels. The Telephone was written by Megan Daniels.